Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Becoming from 90% Hoops. Today, we have a very special guest. This is Rohan Johnson. He's going to be on the podcast today to share his journey and drop some knowledge for everybody out there listening. So first of all, just want to thank uh, Coach Johnson for joining the podcast today and hope everybody gained some valuable uh, knowledge from, from today's episode. So we'll get right into it. Um, what was your inspiration behind wanting to become a coach, becoming a trainer? You know, what was that thing that really got you motivated to pursue this life? Yeah, so um, when I was younger, uh, I actually didn't like basketball. I was more of a football guy until I was like around 10 years old. I moved from New York City to Kingston, New York, and a coach who ended up being like a father figure to me uh, forced me to play basketball, and I ended up falling in love with it. And so him being like my coach and father figure and pushing me towards the right direction kind of inspired me to do the same thing when I got older. No, I love that. So just talk a little bit about um, the role that a coach can play in a kid's life. Um, yeah. You know, because I think it's sometimes it's easy to, you get so caught up in the, the day-to-day that you kind of forget about the impact that you're having. So just talk about the type of impact that, that coach had on you when you were young and how that really set you up to want to pursue a career of being a coach? Yeah, I think I, I think the mo- most important job for a coach is to help a player or a person uh, get to a place that they either desire to be or they can't really see for themselves. I think that's the most important part of a coach, and that's what my coach, Chris Sesh, did for me. He, um, I always said he, he made me live on the other side of the fence. So I grew up in poverty. And when I was around him, he always showed me the other side of the fence of hanging around his friends because he also owned a restaurant. So I was able to meet his friends who obviously lived in a different tax bracket and uh, seeing that their grass is greener because they could afford to do those things. And that's how I wanted to live. Um, so I, I wanted to do the same thing for kids and inspire them and help them reach their goals and desires. Yeah. So when did it when did it transition from this is something I might be interested in talking about? you know, be coaching, this is something that I'm interested in. You know, when mm-hmm. did that transition to, all right, this is what I want to do for yeah. my career. So I've always been interested in coaching because I'm only, unfortunately, I'm vertically challenged. I'm only five foot seven. So I always knew playing professionally wasn't in my in my future. Um, so I always like, I was always the kid at camp that the other coaches would uh, pick me to like have a little group in and kind of get them going or, or even coach the younger teams. That was kind of my job. Um, but when I got to high school, my senior year, I was diagnosed with a large heart. So I knew going into college, I wasn't going to pass any physicals. So as soon as I got to college, my freshman year, I got into student assistant coaching and I started my training business right away. So I have a couple of questions about being a smaller guard. You know, Mm -hmm. basketball is more of a a taller person sport, but it doesn't mean that, you know, smaller people can't have success. Um, so first of all, what, what encouragement or advice would you give to small guards out there who, you know, are playing at a high level, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they have the, the skill level or the IQ, but maybe sometimes, you know, when they get their shot blocked or they're not able to see over the defense, it can kind of hurt their confidence a little bit. So yeah. what encouragement would you give to those smaller guards who, you know, are out there amongst the trees and, mm-hmm. you know, having to, to make plays and be the leader of their team? I would say, uh, well, for if getting your shot blocked, uh, even taller players get their shot blocked. So that's not something that's uncommon in the game. And being able to see over defenses and stuff like that is all about angles to me, uh, picking the right angle, angles. If I was a smaller, if I was still playing basketball, smaller guard, big guard, I always say uh, master the pick and roll. If you can figure out how to master the pick and roll and get yourself in advantages um, and, and do, do that stuff, like make an advantage for either yourself or a teammate would be great. Uh, thing to do playing off two feet like we're kind of in the two foot culture I think we've been in it for a long time but playing off two feet learning how to pivot um, and studying those smaller guards in the NBA so Jalen Brunson um, is a great guy that we study we send the smaller guards even Fred Van Vliet he's a dude that I think is very efficient in the, in the pick and roll Kyle Lowry is a dude that's really efficient in the pick and roll and then also being able to take and make open threes like if you're if you can take if you have the confidence to take open threes and then eventually get to the point where you can make them, I mean, those, those shots to me are, are very high percentage and everyone's hunting guys 
who could take and make open threes. Yeah, so you mentioned pick and roll, taking open threes. What about finishes at the basket? You know, what are yeah. what are if you could maybe point out two or three specific finishes that a smaller guard needs to have? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think those would be? I would say uh, two foot finish, being able to play off two feet. So obviously a power dribble getting into the defender's body, um, and then uh, the next one for me would just be a kind of a Steve Nash reach, reach out layup. So getting to the, getting the ball up quicker before that defender could get there, getting on the backboard. Yeah, those uh, high off the backboard finishes. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a finish everybody's got to have, regardless yep. of whether you're short or uh, whether you're tall. Um, so just talk about a little bit about your player development philosophy. You know, mm-hmm. what do you think are some of the best ways to develop a player? Let's say it's a beginner level player, not much basketball experience. Yeah. You know, what are some of the first things that you're doing to help them learn more about the game and see uh, an improvement in their skill level? Yeah. So for for the younger players and beginner players, we just try to make them have fun. Um, and I know everyone says that, but that's something that we really emphasize on. We, we make them have fun. We play more games than we do kind of worry about the details of the skill. So we do do the ball handlings. We do the shooting stuff, the layup stuff. But most importantly, we make sure they have fun because once they start having fun and they start seeing success in themselves playing the game it becomes a lot easier to do the hard stuff when they get older. You know, I'm, you mentioned having fun, you know, it's mm-hmm. such a big part of the game and developing a passion for the game. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, you see a lot of parents and adults and coaches, sometimes they take the fun out of the game. So yeah. how do you balance making sure that the players understand the fundamentals, they understand what it takes, Mm-hmm. while still making it a fun environment. Yeah, so uh, there's a couple of ways we do that. I would say, most importantly, like, I and I, I'll ask you, like, what's the most fun part of the game, would you say? I would say, I mean, if I would just go back to my playing days, mm-hmm. I just liked, I just liked, you know, being able to play in like a, like a three-on-three. Yeah. Like, there's not many rules. You're just going out there, figuring things out. Yeah. Exactly. So that's what we do. We, we make them play like all the training, all the hard work, the grind, that's all, that's all part of it, but everyone likes playing. That's the reason why you're going through the hard work. So we make sure they play. We give them a chance to, like you said, make decisions, fail a little bit, but then do it again the next play and, and get it figured out, like figuring things out on their own. Like you said, that's, that's kind of what we do to make it have, so they have fun. It's not training all the time and this hard work, and then you never get to see that end result. So that's one That's one way we do it by um, letting them play. And then number two, we do it by tracking everything. So if a kid comes in to us, we know what he's shooting either in the workout or what he's shooting in game. So like the older guys that we get film on, the college guys, we know this dude's shooting 33% from three. And then we work, we work, we work. In drills, we try to get it up to like 60 70%. And then in games, we track that also in games. And then now you see the improvement right spread out in front of you on the spreadsheet. So that's fun for them also when they see that their numbers are improving. Yeah, I think kids are are definitely more motivated when they're able to see how much they're improving. Um, so I think that's a great a great way to do it. Um, so let's say now you're working with uh, like a high school player. You know, maybe mm-hmm. he's not in the rotation. He's maybe the ninth or tenth guy. Yeah. Off the bench. Um, so you know, what are you working with with a guy yeah. like that? You know, because the way that he's going to get on the court is probably not through mm-hmm. scoring or shooting. So what skills are you working on, you know, with a player like that, who's just trying to get on the court? So it really depends on what their coach wants for them. So I always tell them that either I'll do it, or mostly we try to get the high school guys to do it because we want them to work on their communication. So we'll tell them, Hey, go talk to your coach one-on-one and ask him what it is that you need to do to help the team win. And that might just be, for them, hey, I just need you to get waters quicker for our starters. I need you to be more encouraging to our teammates. I need you to pick this guy up when he's down. Uh, and then once they do that, they might get, have an opportunity to get in the game. You know what I mean? Or it could be something that is getting rotational minutes of setting better screens, um, pat, being a better passer, being a better uh, playmaker, uh, being a better rebounder, not dribbling the ball and kicking it out quicker, stuff like that. So we really try to get an idea from their coach of what it is they need to do in order to see those minutes. And like perfect example, I don't know if he'll ever watch this, but a kid that we had, Ben, 
who I always tell the story about, he went to his coach and his coach said, I need you to rebound more and I need you to like get more offensive putbacks. And he wasn't seeing any minutes. So every time he got in the game, he averaged a double-double. The next game he would sit and he was upset. And I was like, Ben, instead of being upset about that, just be the biggest cheerleader when you're on the bench. Wave your towel because they always have towels to sub and sub out. Wave your towels, encourage others, and then you're going to see that change in the next year. You're going to have your opportunity. That's exactly what he did. The next year, he averaged a double-double. He was the all-star of his team. He won MVP in two tournaments. And he lost in like they lost in like this last game before winning the championship. He broke his finger. And they all said if he was there, they would have won that game. So he completely changed it around within like 15 months. And he just did what his coach told him to do. And he encouraged his teammates and kept them all in the high spirit. Yeah, no, I love that. I think being a great teammate is, you know, a, a great starting point if you want to get some more minutes on the court. Um, you know, because when you're on the bench, like you got to bring energy. You got to have mm-hmm. energy on the bench because, you know, you're not just going to go from sitting on the bench with no energy to going in the game and having playing with a ton of energy. Yeah. Um, now, so I always say if you're on the bench, you're not you're not a spectator. Like you're an active participant in the game. So I love that. Love that story there. Um, so I want to talk about your journey a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who are some of the either the other coaches or other trainers or just who are some people that really influenced your training style or your player development philosophy? Yeah, I would say there's so many. Um, I would say uh, for one, Phil Beckner is at this point a friend of mine who was started out as a mentor two years ago and he just kind of took me under his wing and taught me like not even so much of the skill stuff, um, more of the like professionalism and um, the structure of, of how a professional player development coach and how players should should behave in order to uh, separate themselves from the pack. Um, but I talked to now uh, Shane Hennon, who's big on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Steve Daggs, I actually used to live about an hour and a half from where he trains. He's, he's big time into three on three. He was probably the first guy I seen do the FIBA three on three or FIBA three, three on three. Uh, Justin Cooper, I talk to every now and again. Uh, so those are guys that sometimes I just pick up the phone or shoot them a text and we kind of just uh, chop it up and, and get ideas that way. Talk about just a little bit about your training business. You know, do you rent out a gym or are mm-hmm. you just, you know, kind of training people wherever they can train at? Like, just talk about you know, how your, your training business operates. So I originally was from New York and then I moved to down here to Wilmington, North Carolina. So when I was in New York, I had a boys and girls club that we were running trainings out of. And then also a a school that I assisted coach it, coach that for a little bit. Um, So it was kind of mainly one-on-one and then small groups, sometimes on a weekend Um, at the boys and girls club, I was fortunate enough. That's where I grew up. So I didn't have to pay for it. Uh, I wasn't renting it out. I was just kind of um, doing, doing stuff there. But I also did a lot of stuff in the community as far as our, like we did every year, we did a, a jacket drive and then we also did a toy drive for uh, Christmas. So that kind of adding value to that community really helped out with getting the things that I needed. And then with the high school, I just assisted coach, coach there. So they gave me that facility as long as I, I paid what I needed to pay for it and ran out to, to use it kind of whenever. So when you're working with a player and, you know, maybe they're struggling a little bit in the workout, mm-hmm. are you just support, encourage, be positive at, you know, at all times, mm-hmm. or are you getting into them a little bit, getting after them, trying to motivate, trying to, you know, flip a switch, if you will, you know, what's kind of your, your way of dealing with someone who's, who's struggling with a workout? So it depends on my uh, relationship with the player. If it's a new player, it's more encouraging, more trying to figure out why they're frustrated and, and breaking down that frustration and that fear that they may have. If it's a player that I've been working with for a long time, then yeah, I'll get, I'll get into them. Um, I try to stay away from really cursing at them because that's not the, I don't want to be, I don't scream. I always tell people I don't yell. If you ever bring me to the point where I have to yell, I'll just ask you to leave. So I've never yelled at a player that I can think of before, but it's more like kind of encouraging, but in a more demeaning manner instead of yelling at them. Got you. So what are some things that a player must have in order for you to work with them? And, you know, that may not necessarily be skill level, more of yeah. like, you know, is it attitude, effort? Like, what are some of the things that 
they absolutely must have in order for you to, to work with them. Yeah. So for us, we just have four standards that if anyone follows, uh, you can work with us whenever, even if you're just starting out, you're a professional, like we've kicked uh, professional athletes out of our gym numerous times. Um, so our standards are you show up on time. Um, you're respectful. You just say thank you to either our rebounders or say hi to whoever comes in the gym. Or if you walk in our gym and someone's already there, you say hi to them. You say hi to the gym owner. You say hi to the coach. Um, work hard, hard work. I don't coach effort. If that's not something that you, you want to do, then if you don't want to work hard, then we'll just ask you to leave. And then I we, and then be professional. So going with the same thing of like saying hi to everyone. We're not coming here to do a photo shoot. So don't wear your jewelry, take your hat off, take your hoodie off and just be ready to work. A little bit about, um, you know, you're on you're on Twitter, mm-hmm. you know, right? And, you know, there's always arguments on Twitter about trainers doing drills that are not game-like. Yeah. Um, you know, you always see those those arguments on Twitter. So what are some of the ways that you make your workouts as game-like as possible? Like, yeah. let's say it's you only, it's just you and the player, right? You mm-hmm. don't have someone to come in and play defense. Yeah. You know, how can you still make it a game-like workout if it's just one-on-one you and the player? Yeah, I would say um, to put the player in positions where he or she will play, be playing in a game. Um, that's, that's really, game-like is really hard to say because, again, game-like is there's nine other players on the court. Uh, there's also a coach. There's probably four or five other people on the bench waiting to sub in for you. There's anxiety of if you miss this shot, you're probably going to get taken out. Or if you turn, like there's, it's really hard to make a situation game-like. But as far as with just one-on-one with the player, we try to put him in as many positions as he's going to be in, he or she is going to be in, in the game. So that's how we try to make it as many game-like. As far as like reps and, and all that stuff, that all depends on the player. So let's say you're working with like a college player, you know, Mm -hmm. a high level college player um, and they have a pretty clearly defined role on their team. Maybe their role is just to catch and shoot or just play defense. Yeah. So when you're working out with this player in the summer, are you trying to add to their game, expand their game in hopes that they can take on a bigger role? Or are you just trying to kind of refine and get even better at the things that they're already good at or the things that they're most likely going to do? When they get in the game i th- i think the best do both um it's just like a re- any regular job if you start on the job entry level you have a role this is your role but eventually you want to move up the ladder so you you refine your skills within your role but then you also add on to that role in order for you to get to the next level especially when you're a college player like yeah you may just be catch and shoot or even just let's say you're playing the nba and you move from one team to the other your role may change and if you don't have at least the foundation to do those roles, to do that next role, then you're only going to be identified as this person and that's it. You know, just like any person, you want to diversify what you do as a person. You just don't want to be known as doing one thing. Yeah, right. You don't want to put yourself in a box. Correct. You know, you want to continue to to sharpen all your tools and in hopes that you can at some point use them, right? You know, if you're you know, if you're just a three-point shooter and defender, but maybe there's a situation where you need to attack the basket. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you didn't work on that, then you wouldn't have been able to take advantage of that opportunity. And maybe yeah. your coach wouldn't have as much belief in you and they kind of keep you in that role. Mm-hmm. So definitely like, you know, what you talked about there. Um, you've been around some some NBA players, some guys who are playing basketball at the highest levels. Uh, what can you say about their workouts and what they do in those workouts and you know from what i've seen i've been to a lot of college practices before i've seen you know high level players work out and Mm -hmm. they do a lot of basic stuff just really simple stuff and i think a lot of kids think that they need to do Mm -hmm. you know all these combo moves and add all these different moves that they're probably never going to use so just talk about you know kind of what you're seeing these high level players do and what younger players can take from that I would say the most simplest thing is that, like you said, it's very simple, very simple and mundane. It's the same thing over and over again. Um, and they don't get bored. And they and number two, I would say is their mindset. So I've seen, like you said, NBA players, WNBA players miss a couple of shots in a row and their emotion doesn't waver. You know, they take mm-hmm. the same shot like they're going to make it. 
right? And even if they miss that shot, they take the next one. Like they, they, just, they have this mindset of they're not worried about the last shot they just took. They're worried about the next one, which we hear about all the time. But I always say that's something that younger kids work out however you want. I'm not going to tell someone how to train someone or how you should be working out unless you're in our program. But I would say the biggest thing is to take away is their mindset is really being able to one, do the boring things without getting frustrated and two, being able to miss shots and take the next one. Like you're going to make it. Yeah. That's, I think it it all goes back to confidence, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you're made it to that level, to the NBA or WNBA or even to college, you know, you got there because you had a lot of confidence and belief in Mm -hmm. yourself. So you might as well, you know, as if you're a younger athlete, just start developing that now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talk about block versus random practice. You know, I think that's kind of a a hot topic, if you will, um, in the the training community. So, you know, how do you, is that something that you try to, you know, emphasize and pay attention to when you're in a workout or is, you know, you just kind of going off of what you think is best for that specific player? I, again, I think the best do both. So I think the best do block and random, right? So in our, in our, program we have a structure where it starts off block and it ends with random um so i think the best the best do both i don't i always say it doesn't really it does matter what you're doing but getting a player in the gym to work on his skills is is better than doing nothing so i feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of coaches uh argue between block and random and i don't think it, it matters they both work but i think the both i think the best are able to teach and do both yeah, so give us an example of what random would look like. Say, I want to work on my shot, mm-hmm. and I want to do it in a random way. Yeah, you know, in a not not in a block fashion. You know, I want to yeah. do it. You know, so what what would that look like? Yeah, so simply it would look like let's just say we're working on. Um, you want to work on your shot. Let's say we're working on just catch and shoot from the corner, right? So if I, I'll stand at the block, I'll throw you the ball. If I close out hard, you're, let's say you have another helper, you're passing it to the helper. That's not a shot you want to take because I'm closing out hard, right? There goes that decision. Now, I, I toss it again. I'm closing out soft. There's your open shot. So that's the decision of, of randomly me as a defender. You have to make the decision whether or not this is a good shot or not. Yeah. Talk about um, footwork with shooting. You know, Are you mm-hmm. teaching the one-two step? You know, are you teaching left, right? Yeah. Or are you teaching like a, like a hop into I'm, the shot? My, my main, so one, if I always say whatever the, whatever your coach wants, but also whatever you're the most comfortable with, especially when we get players that are the high level division one, two or three players, like you've gotten this far shooting with your footwork this way. Like, yeah, we're going to work on tweaking things and building your foundation and, and raising your percentage and all that stuff. But you're comfortable with your feet this way, so let's not change it. Let's let's make it stronger and widen your base or strengthen your base, but we're not going to worry about what foot needs to go first or anything like that. So whatever you're yeah. – we, we try to make your shot as comfortable and as consistent as possible. Right. Yeah, I think it, it – I think you really need to have both. Like you need to mm-hmm. be able to do the hop and the one-two because, mm-hmm. you know, certain situations may call for, for different types of footwork. So Yeah. I think it's definitely helpful to be able to do both. Um, so, you know, when you're trying to, you know, help a kid, it maybe add more moves or, you know, be able to get to the basket a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Are you just saying, you know, let's focus on getting really good at this one move or this, or these two moves, or are you just trying to show them as, you know, maybe five or six different moves and letting them decide, I yeah. want to focus on getting good at this one or this one. Mm-hmm. So the, I would say the, the best thing would to do for me, at least what I wouldn't say the best thing, what we do is we figure out what move that player already does. So like, does this kid already cross over each time he's going up against a player? Like, so we put him in scenarios where they're just playing. And then we say, all right, let's work on your crossover. Let's build the foundation from there. And then we go crossover between the legs, crossover behind the back. We build on that and then we can move on to the next move. So we really try to, we try to go with whatever you have and uh, make you great at it. And then we can add on from there. Yeah, I think, yeah, I definitely agree. You know, find one or two things that you can be really good at first and then, 
from there you can kind of add to your add to your game a little bit mm-hmm. but start with you know getting good at one two moves you know master those first yeah um so talk a little bit about the time that you spent at the mount academy i believe it's called yeah um you know talk about how that opportunity came about and mm-hmm. you know what your experience was like there that was the best coaching experience i've ever had i haven't coached a lot um but so <laughs> it's a long story so they're they're uh kind of like um a private uh kind of christian school um but it's very different than what you would think with more christian schools they're they have no cell phones the kids have no cell phones until they get older they all live together in like a boarding school. They cook their own meals. It's actually like a great community. They all, they do everything together. Um, so the reason I got the opportunity was just someone else that was coaching there. I uh, knew that I would be good just to help them out. So I helped them out for their first year, their very first year. And they actually, they, they're really good in every other sport. So they, I think this year again, they, or last year, let's just say last year, they won states in volleyball. They won states in soccer, boys and girls. So, and that's, and then they won state, they went to states for cross country. And then last year, so not last year, the year before they just started a basketball team. This is their first time ever playing organized basketball. Uh, They won one game. So next year coming in, we're like, all right, we got to try to change. This is a winning culture. We got to try to change this around. Let's just win more than one game. And like, we, we will have, like, we would say we did well. So we go in the most important, the reason why it was so important to me and it was good for my development and it was so much fun was one, because the kids were super respectful. Those kids would run through a wall for you. They would do anything for you. Like there was a day where the varsity kids, we told them their job for the day was to clean up the facility for the JV guys because the JV guys were practicing. And I've never seen kids grab a mop and a broom and clean the toilets and vacuum and be excited about it. You know what I mean? Even me, if I was younger, someone told me to do that, I'd probably be a little pissed off. But those guys were like really excited about it. There was another instance on the bus where someone left a rapper and our head coach said something like, hey, like you, you guys can't leave the bus a mess. Like it's not our job to clean up after you. And one of our leaders stood up, pointed at our coach and said, listen, this coach, this bus will never be dirty again. I promise you that. And it was never dirty again. So like those were the type of kids we were working with. Granted, they were they were upset because we were losing especially the year before, but they still gave it like all in every practice. So that made it easy for us to begin with. But then the third thing we did that was really important, we tracked everything that was important to us. So in the beginning of the year, we knew that we were going to struggle with turnovers. So we would set a goal. Our first game, I think we had 30 turnovers. So our next goal was to get below like 20, get, get 20 or below. Then we did that. Then we would get, let's get 12 or below. So once we started getting 12 or below, uh, turnovers we knew that we gave ourselves a chance and then we tracked closeout so we would watch film every time we gave we gave a closeout with the high hand we would track it and add it and we try to up that number every time so we tracked everything in that in that sense and obviously the obvious things rebounds offensive rebounds steals all that stuff <clears throat> and then we had a very simple offense that didn't that didn't put too much pressure on the guys to dribble and it gave them a chance to get rid of the ball quicker than than they needed to. So the offense we used actually was the Bellarmine's offense. Like everyone's posting that on Twitter, right? We've been running that for two years and it works. And it's very simple, especially against high school coaches because, and like, even we had a couple of coaches come and watch our games and we're like, watch our, our, our offense is very simple, but it works every time. And we called it scissor, but we had four different actions out of that, out of the scissor. And it just worked for us. And it made it super simple for the guys. So the first year, Going back to the first year, we won one game. The second year, we actually played for the section championship and only lost by 11. And we did all of that. Obviously, the kids were great, but we did all of that because all of the building blocks we did up until that point. Oh, that's an incredible story. Yeah. Um, it certainly makes the coaching a lot easier when you have kids who are motivated and mm-hmm. kids who are disciplined and, you know, have our leaders. You know, when you have yeah. natural leaders on your team, it makes it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you talked about, you know, implementing the culture and, you know, building those, those building blocks of, you know, of, of how you wanted to play and, mm-hmm. you know, your guys were able to respond, but what do you, I mean, how were you able to do that? You know, what do you think was the biggest reason why there was such a big turnaround from one year to the next, you know, cause I'm sure, you know, running a good offense helps and 
Yeah. You know, having guys who work hard helps. But, you know, what mm-hmm. was, what do you think is the biggest reason that, you know, you guys were able to have such a big change in success? Yeah, I think the kids, honestly, were the biggest reason. Like, they, they bought in. Like, we had probably one kid who was probably – he's going to be the best kid that leaves there if no one else comes in who kind of would always stray away and try to do his own thing. But we always brought him back in and kept him connected. So even, like, our first five games – so four games last year, we lost all four. Like, wasn't even close. The Instead of practicing for the fifth game, we did, like, a dodgeball or a kickball tournament. Or, like, a it was a kickball game, upperclassmen versus lowerclassmen. And they went out the next game and won. So we just always, like, kept them connected. It was It's easier to do things when we keep them connected. And then coaches, we took a responsibility of a lot of things that didn't go right. And when things went well, we put it on the kids. So, like... If we lost the game by one point, like we did lose the game by one point, actually, and we took the blame for it because we were like, we weren't prepared to be in that position. So we made sure the kids knew that it's not because they're going out there and failing. Like, yeah, they're doing the work and they deserve the credit, but we also have to be prepared as coaches. So when we lost that game by one, we went in the locker room, their heads were down. We we're like, hey, heads up. We take the blame for it. We didn't expect you guys to be in the position to be even down by one to a team that's three classes ahead of you. And so we take the blame for that. And we took the blame for that. The next game we went out, we won. So we did things like that. And then another, I think, main difference we did, and I think everyone should implement this, is during timeouts, it's a little bit harder with colleges because media timeouts are so long, but we had 30 seconds or a minute. During timeouts, we would pick one thing to do that they can get better at offensively and one thing they can do to get better at defensively in the next series. So if we were struggling to swing, we always called it swing-swing. If we were struggling to do the swing-swing, we would say, hey, get back to swing-swing. Defensively, close out harder. And that's it. They only had two things to worry about. If they went to the next session and did those two things, then we were happy with the result, whether it was good or bad. Yeah, you know, keeping it simple is, mm-hmm. you know, is a great way for a player to understand exactly what they need to do. You mentioned the, the Bellarmine offense. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're a team that has, you know, garnered some attention so far yeah. this season. Uh, you know, they beat Louisville. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know they're they're a team that I think every coach would would want their players to to kind of emulate. So what's the key to running an offense like that? You know where yeah. you don't dribble; it's just all passing. You know how are you able to get a team to play well and run good offense without really dribbling the ball? Yeah, I would say I would say you have to uh, show them the successes on film. That's another thing we did was we showed how the offense worked on film. Like at first it especially the first, like, I'd say four or five games, they weren't bought into it, especially because we were losing. But then we showed them, like, all right, let's look at let's look at where we're scoring. Okay, we ran the offense almost to perfection. We got a layup. We ran the offense. We swung, swung it. We got an th- open three. Now look, 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 let's look at where we broke out of our offense. We didn't get anything. We turned the ball over, or we got a bad shot, or we got a shot clock violation. So we, we showed them, like, this is the reason why this will work. Yeah, the ball may have not went in, but you got an open shot, though. You know what I mean? So that's that's what we did. Was show every after every game, we would either send out a film edit or we would just watch it together as a team. Yeah, I think uh, film is definitely a great way to learn. You know, when you're first trying to implement that offense, are you showing film of your own team, or are you just showing film of, you know, maybe Bellarmine or another team that's doing it really well? Yeah, so we didn't even show them the offense. We just told them the numbers. We said we knew that Bellarmine was – we knew we had to score more points than we did the year before. So we said Bellarmine's offense is scoring like 1.1 points per possession, which is pretty high. So we said we started out just showing them the basics of it, the foundation, which is just three people at top and swinging it, and then we had them play three-on-three three with that offense. Uh, sorry, <laughs> we had them play three-on-three three with that offense, and then we progressed to four-on-four, five-on-five. And then they they saw how it worked. But again, when you get in game, you're playing against a different opponent. They they broke off from it a couple of times. So we just gave – they're pretty smart kids. So we give them the numbers of it, and they understood that that was a higher percentage and that we needed to score more uh, coming into the next season. Right. Talk about how important having a system is. You mm-hmm. know, maybe you don't have the most talent or you're playing teams that are longer, more athletic. How important is it to, you know, just have a set system that you know what to do, you want to, you know, you know exactly who you are. And there may be some games where, you know, the matchup isn't always the best, but if you can Mm -hmm. just stay true to that system, 
more often than not, you'll you'll end up winning. Like I look at at college teams like like Davidson, for example. You know, they have their system. Uh, like Richmond, yeah. You know, they have their mm-hmm. system, and you know, they're never going to be like national championship contenders, but they're good every single year. Whereas, you know, a team like Kentucky or Duke, you know, they're kind of basing their offense and defense on the the personnel, the talent that they yeah. have. So talk about that balance between building a system versus playing to the strengths, you know, yeah. building the system around maybe your top one or two guys. I would I'd say in high school, especially in public school, uh, you have to do the you kind of have to build around your one or two guys because you're getting a new set of players every one or two years in high school and college you can kind of recruit for players to fit your system so Bellarmine has done a good job at that where they've recruited players that probably already bought into that kind of system and just recruited them to play there Kentucky and the Dukes and stuff I'm sure Coach K had a system but also he can probably get most players like I'm when Jabari was there they were playing around Jabari Parker and when Tatum was there, they were playing around Jason Tatum. So you can get those guys, but in high school, especially public school, I believe you have to play around the one or two guys and adjust to the players you have and play to their strengths. Um, and the pre- and the like uh, things have blown up in the whole uh, prep school scene. So that's different where you can recruit guys to come to play in a certain system. So I I think um, it depends on where you're coaching at. Talk about, um, you know, being at a a high school where you don't have the opportunity to recruit or bring in new talent Mm -hmm. and you have to develop the guys that are already there. So during the season, you know, you want to put in stuff for your team, you know, do more team oriented stuff. But at the same time, you have to develop the players that are on your team for the future. Mm -hmm. So, you know, most I mean, I don't know what every school's doing, but most schools are probably practicing somewhere between three to five yeah days we, a week yeah so we practice um f- five days a week and then we but we only had an hour and a half practice because the gym time was limited and they were such a tight-knit community that they didn't miss dinner so they had to get to dinner right after practice um unless it was like a game day so we only practiced for an hour and a half each day but the biggest thing we did uh was give those guys an opportunity just be available for them to uh develop their game so most coaches, high school coaches will say, um, yeah, you guys have to get better, but they won't open up the gym for those guys to get better. So I don't see how that makes sense, right? So you're telling a player, you need to work on your shot, um, and then you're just leaving that player to do it. So give him the opportunity to work on the shot by opening up the gym for, for him to be there and inviting a couple of friends or even, I'm not saying even invite his trainer in to, to work with him, but I had a kid last year who was working on this three-point shot and his assignment for me was, uh, from me was to make 50 shots every day after practice. And he said, I'll try, but our coach goes home right after practice. He, he won't stay an extra 20 minutes for me to get those shots up. I was like, dude, then I don't know what he wants me to do. I mean, he, he found a way to do it. He did it outside, even in the winter, or he went into a gym and did it. But I was like, I don't know how that dude expects his players to get better if he hasn't given them the opportunity to. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's a tough dynamic because, you know, I'm sure the coach has a family or maybe another job that he has to do. So he can't yeah. stay long and after I, practice. Yeah. And I, and I get that, but we always, again, like coaches, we talk about players making sacrifices. So we have right. to, as coaches, we have to make that same sacrifice. And I'm not saying give up all this family time for your newborn baby, but I'm sure there's another janitor or coach or principal that's able to open up that gym for that player. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think, um, you know, whenever you can, you should, I mean, I, I think you should allow the either, whether it's a key or like a code, like you should give every player a key to the gym or a code mm-hmm. to the gym so that they can get in and, yeah. you know, put some work in whenever they want. Um, well, this has been great. You know, yeah. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I want to move on to a fun segment that we have here on this show. It's called Explain That Tweet, which okay. is... I just read some of your tweets and then you just offer an explanation on, you know, maybe what you were thinking at that time or just, mm. you know, provide a little bit more insight on it. Um, so this one, it was pretty recent. It says, as a player development coach, your main job is instilling confidence into yeah. the players you work with. Could mm. be as simple as saying, 
I believe in you. Yeah. So what are, what are some of the ways that you help instill confidence in your players, whether they're struggling or whether they're playing well, Mm. how are you able to consistently give confidence to your players? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, as simple as like, I believe in you. I'm proud of you. Um, Something to let them know that even if they're not, even if they're not playing well, that they have someone in their corner. Um, So I always, I like boxing a lot. So I always imagine myself just as like the trainer on the side, you just got your ass kicked in round three and you're coming to sit down. Um, just know that, hey, I'm still here in your corner, right? I'm still here in your corner. Get back to the center ring. I'll give you some tips, but I'm still proud that you're even out there. And especially with some of the players that I work with being through what they've been through, getting to where they are um, is a great accomplishment, whether they succeed at that level or not. So I'm still proud of everything that they've done to get to that point. And then also like numbers, like we show them their numbers. So we should, we like every, let's say Brian Moore, who I'm working with right now, Murray State who I've been working with for years. I just, he had a game yesterday. They beat Texas A&M. He plays for Murray State. He didn't play well, um, but before the game, I'll text all those guys and say, hey, uh, they have the spreadsheet, but I know they don't look at it most of the time. But like, hey, you're shooting 60% in transition. Actually, I can tell you right now. I'll say you're shooting 60% in transition. Uh, keep attacking and transition. You're shooting 60% in transition right now. And you're shooting 40% from the field with the dribble move. And then his goal is to get up one three per game. Not saying he has to make the three, but get up one three per game. So now he knows before the game, I need to get out in transition more because I'm shooting a high percentage in transition. And I need to get, I need to get some shots up off the bounce if I'm looking to score. And then also at the end is keep getting your teammates involved because he's doing a good job with that. And he, he actually didn't play well yesterday. And I still texted him after the game and said, hey, proud of you. You guys beat a big team. Um, keep going. Keep winning. And he was like, thank you. I appreciate that. I didn't play that well, but we have another game tomorrow. So at least he knows that someone's in his corner and someone I'm still here to believe in him. And I'm just not looking at him as my little bro when he's doing well. Like he's someone that I actually believe in and that I'm proud of, of how far he's came. Yeah, that's awesome. So you give, you know, you talked about giving some feedback, you know, you're shooting 60% in transition. Mm-hmm. And I think this is kind of ties into something that you talked about earlier, which is, you know, when you're in a timeout, you're telling your team, this is one thing we need to do better on offense. And this is one thing we need to better do better on defense. So is mm-hmm. that kind of the same approach that you're taking when maybe you're talking to a player before the game, like, hey, let's focus on this one area on offense and this one area on defense, you know, yeah. how much information are you giving to a guy before a game? Yeah. So we're keeping it simple, but it's the same thing like we talked about earlier. It's um, let's become great at what you're already good at. So if you're already good at catch and shoot threes, um, let's continue to do that. Let's continue to hunt those opportunities. You know what I mean? So, and then we'll, we'll always, I always try to give you two because obviously the other team also knows they're supposed to know you're good at catch and shoot threes. So what, what's the other counter to that so i always try to give two um and then we also they also have goals that they give me uh, in the beginning of the season so i just remind them of those goals yeah i think definitely you don't want to give them too much information you know you Mm -hmm. don't want them thinking too much you just want them to go out there and play yeah um so this next one this is a, a quote tweet that you had um the original tweet says what behavior or what behavior or skill would you improve in yourself if you could quickly become good at it? And you said communicating and listening. Yeah. So what are some of the ways that you've tried to improve mm-hmm. in those areas? Yeah, I think, I think I'm still a bad communicator. Um, I think the way I've tried to improve is just kind of uh, talking, listening to other people, talk to other people. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts and watch a lot of YouTube videos and the, the way they talk and the way they can command the room and get um, people to understand what they're saying. I try to copy that. Um, listening, uh, still something that I'm working on. Um, same thing. I just listen to videos and, and read books to try to learn how to be a better listener um, and just hear more of what people are saying and before having a, a thought in my head. But I'm still failing at both of those. I don't know how long ago I tweeted that, but I should probably retweet it so I can remind myself. Yeah, what would you say is the uh, the biggest weakness in your communication abilities? Yeah, I think communication um, style. 
I think sometimes my brain is saying things faster than, or my mouth is saying things faster than my brain could. Cause I have a lot of information I think to get out to a player, especially when I'm dealing with the player one-on-one. And if I could just give myself a second to collect my thoughts and then uh, communicate it to them in a way that they would understand, um, especially with like younger players, it's a little bit harder in the beginning. Cause I don't know how much they know or don't know. Um, but as, as, I learned them, then I'm a little bit better at communicating that stuff to them. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you mentioned something that I think a lot of coaches struggle with, which is too much information. Yeah. Because as coaches, you know, you're always trying to learn more and Mm -hmm. take from other coaches, whether it's, you know, actions that you want to run or drills that you want to do. And sometimes you have, you know, so many drills that you want to do that it's hard to just, you know, find ones that you are going to actually do because you can't do every drill right yeah so i always i always um try to look at communicating as getting a drink of water so when we were younger in new york city we used to always open up which was no one do this now because i'm not saying anyone do it it's illegal but we used to always open up the fire hydrants and let the water come out and then when you're done you would get a drink out of a water hose so i would say what would you rather get a drink out of would you rather get a drink out of a fire hydrant or would you get, rather get a drink out of a water hose? You know, one's a lot of information, a lot of water rushing out at once, and one's just a steady stream of water that seems a lot simpler to drink out of. So that's what I try to remind myself is that analogy. Yeah, no, I like that analogy. I like that one a lot. Um, so this last one here, this is from uh, earlier this summer, and this one's, you know, straight to the point. says, don't wish it was easier. Wish you were better. Yeah. So just talk about that for a second. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of people who, you know, when they go through, you know, a tough or challenging time, they they kind of get down on themselves and, you know, mm-hmm. wish things would get easier. But, you know, how what are you going to say to a player who's, you know, in that situation where maybe things are going well, mm-hmm. you know, and how do you get to understand that, you know, if you can just get better and continue to get better, then things will get easier. They're not just going to get easier yeah. on their own. I think it's just I, with that tweet, I was just tell, trying to make people understand to to work harder. Like the work is the work. Like you, the only way you get better, are you? The only way you things get easier for you is if you're better at them, right? So like, um, if you just started a new job, I don't expect you to be good at it on day one. You're probably it's probably going to be hard for you, but you probably should be better six months in than you were were on day one. It'll probably be a little bit easier. So the more work you do. Um, the better you get, the easier it will become. Yeah, absolutely. I always say that the uh, the secret to getting better at basketball is by playing basketball. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you want to get better, then just play basketball. Play as yeah. much as you can. You know, that's, the, the t- I think that's the secret to anything. Like, I get questions all the time, like, how do you dribble better? How do you sh- become a better shooter? How do you? There's no secret answer that's not already out there, right. but, like, yeah. dribble the ball shoot the ball like all the times especially like now like everyone wants a one-on-one individual private workout but then their goal is to become more aggressive to the basket well you got to go play against people that you need to be aggressive against going to the basket that's the only way you learn how to do it right is playing those games not one-on-oh like there's no no contact there when you get in the game and you're playing against your friends or someone that's trying to really block your shot that's how you learn how to be aggressive yeah I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's any skill, any skill that you want to develop. You just have to do that thing. Yeah. Do it consistently with effort and it's going to take some time. It's not going to mm-hmm. be right away, but if you just stay with it, eventually it'll, it'll work out for you. Yeah. Um, so once again, thank you for joining the Becoming today and sharing a lot of knowledge for our listeners. Uh, I know that everybody listening to this will, will certainly uh, learn a lot and, you know, be inspired. Um, so last question, last, mm-hmm. last question. Um, for anybody out there who wants to become a trainer, you know, wants to yeah. turn that into a career, what is some advice that you would give or some things that a pl- or somebody could do to, you know, start their journey of becoming a trainer? Yeah, I would say find a mentor like that. I wish I did that earlier. Um, having mentors and talking to other trainers and just picking their brains has helped me big time. Um, 
than trying to do things on my own. When I was younger, I thought I could figure, I was, I wasn't, I didn't think I could figure out on my own, but I thought that um, no one would get back to me. And I was kind of fearful of that, but I just started reaching out to people and that's how I got connected to all these guys. So just find a, find a mentor, find someone that's already in the business and, and that's actually doing well in the business and pick their brain and figure out what, what it is that they're doing. Um, and if anyone wants to reach out to me, I'll help out however I can. I'm not, I'm not um, probably the, the best person to go to, but I'll, I'll try to help out where I can for sure. And could a mentor be, does it have to be like in person, you know, someone that you know, or could it be maybe a mentor through watching their videos or listening to their podcasts or reading I would, their books? I would say, um, so reading their books and podcasts is a great start, but I would say, I would say you, you get better answers by asking better questions with a podcast and video. You can't ask anyone any questions. So if you can get a chance to get them on the phone or even in person, you're going to learn a lot more um, than uh, you would on a podcast. And you're going to learn a lot on a podcast and, and a video, but not the answers you may be looking for. Right. No, absolutely. Definitely agree with that. Um, well, once again, thank you so much for joining yeah. the podcast today. Thank you for having and, me. I appreciate uh, it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's been fun. If there's anyone or anything that you want to plug or give a shout out to, uh, yeah. you can go ahead before we before we close it out. Um, yeah, no, just socials are Rohan P. Johnson. Um, a trainer I forgot to mention who's been a big help the past couple of months is DJ Shaw. He's a great dude, actually. I would if I would start um, if you want to start with someone who doesn't have a big following, but is actually doing the business. If anyone listens to this is DJ Shaw. He's he's a very introverted guy, but he's helped me big time. Um, he'll get back to you. So he's a dude that I forgot to mention. All right, DJ Shaw, if you're listening out there, then some credit going your way. All right, well, thank you once again. And uh, maybe thank we, you. we uh, definitely try to do this again another time. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> thank you. Have a great day, man.